Well, we're going to go before the Lord in prayer now as we go to Matthew chapter 10, praying for these ministries and then always praying that the Lord would teach us and direct us this morning. Father, we thank you for all of the different people that you've placed on their hearts to serve in different ways around here. And we pray that it's all done according to your goodwill and purposes, that you're leading us and directing us, that we're honoring you above all things. And we pray, Lord, as we enter into Matthew chapter 10, as you teach your apostles those very principles, that we would apply those principles to ourselves, that we would grow in your word this morning and you'd apply it to our lives and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in Isaiah 6, 8, it says, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? We know that the king needs to send ambassadors. He sends people to share the message. And in Matthew chapter 9, the last few verses we just left, that is how Jesus closed out. He said that there is a harvest, it is plentiful, and we need to pray for the Lord of the harvest for the laborers. We need more laborers, people to go out there and to do the work. And now in chapter 10, the Lord is going to call apostles. He's going to call apostles and he's going to send them out. And he has a special message for them. So let's read the first few verses of Matthew 10, verses 1 through 4. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Verse 3. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Levius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, whom also would betray him. So what is an apostle? That's first and foremost. The apostles were called out of the disciples. So where is, going, where is this all coming from and what's going on? Jesus is being followed by the multitudes, the multitudes, big crowds, and that's people that believe in him, people that are trying to uh, prove him false, uh, people that are just curious, people that just need to be healed, because remember, he's healing all sorts of people from all kinds of things. Within those multitudes, there are believers, and within those believers, there are disciples, disciplined ones, learners. They're following Jesus. They want to be used by Jesus. They want to learn from him. And they want to serve him and as they're following him. And out of these disciples, Jesus calls 12 apostles. The apostles comes from the word that means sent ones. But it doesn't mean like I just send somebody with a message or a runner. It's more of a formal sent, like an ambassador. These are 12 appointed individuals that God chooses. Now, there are qualifiers for apostles. I want to spend some time on this because you may have friends or family or may know someone that in a different church, they call themselves an apostle. They say that they are an apostle. Well, we're going to show from Scripture that that is not accurate today. First and foremost, they must see the resurrected Lord. When Paul is making a defense of himself as an apostle, he writes in 1 Corinthians 9.1, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? So you have to see the resurrected Lord. And it's not enough just to see him. 
he has, you have to fellowship with him. You have to be trained by him. In, in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, the remaining apostles are there. Judas has now left the scene, and they are deciding who is going to be the next apostle. And in that discussion, in chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, it says, Therefore of these men, whom have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So when they're picking Matthias, they want someone that has fellowshiped and been with the Lord, and they want somebody that has, again, seen the resurrection of the Lord. This is very, very important. It's going to come up later on when we talk about persecution. Just as is important in my eye, is they have to be appointed by God. They have to be chosen by Him. In Ephesians 4.11, it says, And He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, there are people today, they're appointing themselves apostles. They say that they're an apostle. They say that God's chosen them, and they'll try to tap dance around some of these verses. You know, they'll say, well, the Lord appeared to me in a dream, and he's been teaching me through the scripture and through the church, so I've been walking with him. So I am walking into this calling because he's chosen me. And other people around are applauding, oh, yeah, that's secret ballots, whatever, or other people coming and saying, yes, yes, this, this has got to be right. They've got to be an apostle. You should call yourself one. But Peter tells us, in 1 Peter chapter 1, that no one has seen the resurrected Lord anymore because we are given a commendation because we believe without seeing. In 1 Peter 1.8, it says, whom having not seen, you love. That, see, that's us. We haven't seen him, but we love him by faith. Yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full glory. Well, they may say once again, you know, oh, well, I've seen Jesus in a dream. I've seen him and he's trained me. They're just, they're just going too far. That's not correct. It's not biblical. Now, I don't want people to um, go picketing outside of a church with someone that says they're an apostle. They're brothers and sisters in the Lord. They're in error. That title is unfortunate, but that's between them and the Lord. We'll see that in a little bit as well, a principle for that. So we see the calling of an apostle. We understand what it is. We know its definition. We know that the Lord has single-handedly selected these people. And if you're a Bible student and you're wondering, yes, I believe that Matthias was chosen by the Lord in the book of Acts because I know some of you Bible students are going to be asking me afterwards. Why? Because the Bible says it never says it's wrong. And I can go into that more detail if you have questions about that later. But we see now that as Jesus is appointing these apostles. He's called out the disciples. We see that they are 100% dependent on him. Here in the text, it says that he will, he gives them power in verse one. He gave them power. And then we see what over, over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease. So they're to be dependent on him. It's his work. Now, this is our first hint that this entire chapter and this message is not for us. We have to put it in its proper context. The context of this message is to the apostles themselves, to this unique 
mission. I don't go out into the world called an apostle. I don't cast out unclean spirits. I don't heal sicknesses. I don't bring people back from the dead. And that's what it's going to say that they're going to do. And yet we know when the disciples come back, they do these things. It's very interesting. Now, I want to point out something else about these guys, though, before we continue. They are from a wildly different background, one from another. They are a, a quite a variety of guys. And in my opinion, these guys and the work of God in them is just as much a miracle as the miracles that God performs through them. I, I mean, this is a perfect example of what Paul says later in the Scripture, that the Lord uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, the least of things. That's these guys. See, these guys argue over who's the greatest. They argue over who's in charge, who does better, who's closer to the Lord, who's going to sit in the best throne, the best seats when they're in the kingdom. These guys are just like you and, you and I, arguing over all kinds of stuff, and yet the Lord is going to use them. And that's what we see when he says he will empower them. It's not by our strength, not by our works, not by our righteousness, but by his. And he's going to show incredible miracles. He's going to do an incredible work through these guys. So now that he's called them, and I'm going to spare you going through every single one of these apostles, where they came from, what their background is, and how they die. I've done it before. It takes a long time. It's kind of boring. We're going to focus on the message that God is giving them through Jesus. In verses 5 through 10, we continue. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Well, the, the Lord is going to send them out. Two by two, he's going to send them away from him to continue this message, and they are going to do incredible miracles. Now, he's sending them out as sent ones, as apostles. These guys are ambassadors. And an ambassador represents the nation that they are from. So when we send an ambassador to another country, they are to be treated like they are the government of the United States of America, like they're a head of state. So they'll get special privileges. They go through customs faster. They have motorcades taken to where they go. Not because that person is special, but it's who they represent. Now, the opposite is true as well, isn't it? The ambassador represents that nation. So when he is bad, when he's not doing well, it is dishonoring to that nation. So these guys are being sent out on official business. And they are going to do incredible things. What are they going to do? Jesus tells them they're going to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out demons. Now there's a lot of hints here that the context of this message is not for you and me and not for today. But I want to point out that when these guys go out and do these miracles, they do them. Because when they come back, they are successful. We don't know how long this mission was, but in Luke 9.10, it says, And the apostles, when they had returned, told him of all that he had done, that he took them and went aside privately, excuse me, then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place 
belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But you're saying to me like, oh, how can you say this isn't for today? How can you say that this is not the right context? Number one, they're sent only to the nation of Israel. We are not sent to the nation of Israel. We are now to go to all the world and preach the gospel with no limitations. They are told to go and preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We are to print, excuse me, we are to go and proclaim the gospel that he died and rose for our sins, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. They are called to go out and preach and do miracles. We are not called to go out and do miracles. Context, context, context. And you've got to be very careful here because you can go to a fellowship or hear a message where they're using scriptures out of its context and you're being misled. How come you haven't raised the dead today? What's wrong with you? This is what it says here. Because you've got to use that 2020 vision. Read the 20 verses before and the 20 verses after. What is our commission? Our commission is given in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, not one, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So we're to go and teach and baptize, to share the gospel, the word of God. We're not called to go do miracles. Now the Lord will do miracles when he pleases, when he empowers, because we're dependent on him. But that's not a sign of our ministry. The sign of our work and our calling for our time is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the truth of his word. And he does whatever he pleases. Now, there's two other things I want to point out here. Another reason why we know that this context is not for us. He tells them not to take any money. Did you see that? In verse 9, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts. I'm going to sneeze. I'm allergic to your criticism. (laughs) (laughs) And so he's telling them, don't take your debit cards, don't take your checkbook, don't take any cash, don't take a loan out, you just go. In fact, I don't even want you to have a backpack, not even like the old cartoons with the pole and the handkerchief with sandwiches in the back. Nope, you don't get to take nothing. You just go, and I'm going to provide for you. This is another reason we know that this context can't be for us. Could you imagine if I tried to go down to Peru without any money, without any provision? I don't even bring my passport, my ID card. I just show up to the gates. Well, Lord God, guides, he provides. Just show up to the gate, the TSA agent, you know, passport, and your... your um, Boarding pass. Oh, I don't got one. The, the Lord's sending me. Well, let's see how far that would go in the morning. It's not taking you anyway, anywhere. Let's imagine somehow I got there. Well, now I'm just showing up like, hey, how, how are you guys going to serve me? I don't, I don't have anything. God told me not to take any. Look at this verse here. I'm, I'm just living by faith. You know, where God guides, he provides. Well, I will tell you where God guides, he provides is 100% accurate, but he also tells us in scripture not to build a tower without counting the cost, whether your enemies would mock and ridicule you. We are to be prepared. This is a unique message to the apostles in their day for their calling. It's unique. Now there's principles here, of course, that we're going to take, and he will provide for us. 
But it is a purely American way of thinking. If we say God guides, he provides, means that our mortgage is always going to be paid. We're always going to be able to do full-time ministry, that everything's going to go great all the time, or God's not in it. Well, we're going to see in this sermon, that's simply not real. Now, he will provide for you. He's going to guide for you because he's in control of all things. But what exactly is provision? Well, it's whatever he wants it to be. And we're going to talk about that as we continue. But we see another aspect here that I find stands out to me. And that is this word go in verse 5. He says, don't go into the way of the Gentiles. Don't enter into the way of the Samaritans. But he wants them to go into the house of Israel. You know, too many people, they come to church, they get saved, and they think, that's it, I've done it. And then they come to church as if they're going to a sporting event. They buy some popcorn, they sit down, they're entertained, they watch all the work get done. That was great, I'm cheering them on, I'm going to go home. But if you're a disciple of Christ, if you're a follower of him, we are called to go. Go into your workplace, go into your family, go into uh, the world. Maybe you are called to go to some foreign mission land, I don't know. But are you going? Our faith is active. It's working as he uses us and he directs us. Now, it doesn't mean tough times aren't going to come. It doesn't mean great times aren't going to come. But we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But remember, we are to be 100% dependent on him. He empowers them. He is providing for them and he is leading them. He called them and now he's sending them out. And ultimately, he'll judge them when they return how well they did. And so we apply that thinking to ourselves. Where are we going? And what are we doing? Now, this is not it. He's just getting started. Let's read now verses 11 through 15. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in, in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will, not, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city. Now, he's beginning a section here where he's going to tell them there's going to be opposition. These guys are going to raise people from the dead. These guys are going to cleanse lepers. They're going to do miracles, and yet they're still going to be rejected. What's interesting, though, is that in the scripture here, we don't hear about the persecution, especially the persecution the Lord's going to talk about in the next section, happening. So when is that for? And my personal opinion, now it's possible it's an argument from silence. So it's, argu- it's possible that they did have those things and the Lord just didn't record it but you never want to infer from something that's not being said. I personally believe that Jesus is training them and equipping them not just for this mission, but also in the book of Acts when all these things are going to take place. And we'll re- we read about them in the book of Acts. But that being said, Jesus is telling them, you're going to go, you're going to do these great things, you're going to do it, you're not going to take any money, you're going to rely 100% on me, I'm going to provide for everything. But when you go to a place... Just see what the best house is, see who the leader is, a worthy place, and then go stay there. And as long as they keep you, you can stay. 
But if they don't hear your message, if they're not listening, if they reject you, if they reject me as the Messiah, then just leave. Shake it off. That's not your problem. Go to the next one. Interesting. How is it that these guys are going to perform these miracles, but when they're trying to share these things, they're going to receive persecution? And then on top of that, they're told to just leave and go to the next person. I think there's an important principle there for all of us. But I want to point out to all of us as believers, the Apostle Paul told his young disciple Timothy something that's important for all of us. It's in 2 Timothy 3.12 where it says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All and will. Very important in that verse. We have the truth of God's word. We have this message. We're called to go into the world. And although we are not given the same directions and instructions that the apostles are giving, we are given a different set of directions, a different message to the whole world. The principle is still the same. And it's encouraging to us. It should be encouraging to us because nothing has changed in these areas. The principle that I wanted to share with you is this. You know, there's a lot of people now, they want to talk to me about the Bible. They have questions. They want to have counseling or they want to receive biblical instruction. There's way more people in this world. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk to me about it. If I bring it up, they're going to be upset about it. And I don't waste my time. That doesn't mean I don't share. I don't hint. I don't ask for open doors. When the conversation is there, I will gladly take it. But I remember when I first became a believer, I made everybody around me's ears bleed because they were going to get the gospel whether they wanted it or not. I mean, maybe if I could slam their face into the desk hard enough, they'll get saved. And I think, unfortunately, in that time, I, I turned more people off to the gospel than I ever did. And so here, there's a principle. It's not the same instruction. We don't live this way. But there's an important principle that I will gladly share my time, as much time, with anyone that wants to know more, and I'm not going to waste it on those. I mean, there's people here that want to talk to me at night, you know, send me a text or a question, and I'm going to pick up that phone. I'm not going to say, oh, no, I, I can't talk to you right now. I'm trying to disciple my neighbor who has rejected Christ and doesn't want to speak to me. He's going to call the cops if I get on his property one more time. No, I'm just going to shake it off. It's like, okay. When that opportunity comes again, I'll take it. If not, I won't. And I think it's just a good biblical principle. But we do know this before we go to the next section because we're going to look at deeper persecution. He is in 100% control. He has empowered. He leads. He's the leader of all creation. He has created all things. He knows. And he will provide. But it doesn't mean that road's going to be easy. And sometimes you're going to have to walk away. Sometimes, though, it's going to get worse than that. You see, in verses 16 through 23, he continues, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpent and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks to you in you. 
Now brother will deliver up brother to death and father his children and child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death and you will be hated for by all my by all for my name's sake but he who endures to the end will be saved verse 23 When they persecute you in this city flee to another for assuredly I say to you you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the son of man comes now, these are the verses I was referring to earlier that we don't see this happening on this mission. I believe he's speaking of their future in the book of Acts because all these things will take place. Now, this is incredibly difficult and very hard. Now, the Lord is leading them. He's directing them. He's equipping them. He is training them. But again, let's go back to context. It is never a good idea to go to court with no lawyer, no notes, and no information and just wing it and say the Holy Spirit's going to take care of it unless the Lord has specifically told you to do that. And I would say through written scripture. Don't even trust a dream if, the, if you feel like that's what the Lord's teaching you. How can I say that? It says here to be wise as serpents and harmless as a dove. Why is that important? Verse 17 Beware of men. So if you think you could just go into a courthouse and the Holy Spirit's going to just lead you there, and you're just going to all of a sudden be like a 10th year experienced trial lawyer, you're out of your mind. Because you need to be, be beware of men. They're going to try and trick you. They're going to try and sneak you. They're going to try and stumble you. This is important and this is encouraging because nothing has changed. The world hasn't changed. This situation hasn't changed. And we're being sent out into a world where we need to be wise as a serpent. But the Lord tells us to be gentle. In fact, he says if to the apostles, when you get persecuted in your town, just go to another town. Just migrate. I don't like that. Because I'm the kind of guy that wants to work out every problem. I'll just sleep less, work harder, more hours, be a smarter decision. If I just get smarter and get tougher, we can fix anything. But that's not what's going on here. They are wholly dependent on the Holy Spirit. They can't make more miracles. They can't raise more people from the dead. They can't change people's minds. They can't even buy their way out of things because they don't have any money with them. They're wholly dependent on the Holy Spirit. And then they're being told, don't even prep when you're called before courts. And we're not talking about a fine here or whether or not you can say something in public or post something on your Facebook, they're talking about being stoned to death. They're talking about being crucified. And the Lord's telling them, just go. Yes, they have a very unique calling, but the world into which they are being sent is exactly the same today. You know, when we talk about if you're being persecuted in your country here, just go to another one. I don't like that answer. I, I'm like, let's fix it. Let's work it. And I definitely don't like that peaceful as a dove part. I'm like, let's fix this with violence. <laughs> but no, if you're going to be a disciple and a follower of the Lord, you do it his way. And he says, no, no, just go to the next house. Just go to the next country. Turn the other cheek and to love your enemies in the name of the Lord. I find it ironic that here the Lord is saying that families are going to turn against the truth. That the fellowship, the synagogue, and we'll, we'll apply the church, even though the church doesn't exist at that time, 
is going to be against the Lord and his word. And then governments, you're going to be delivered up to governments. You know, why is that ironic? What is it about that that we should be having red flags go up and teach us a little bit more about our world? Well, Warren Wiersbe, he, he wrote, God's servants will be like sheep in the midst of wolves. They will need to be tough-minded but tender-hearted. This opposition will come from organized religion, government, and even the family. The reason, and you'll see all those references are in the scriptures we just read, the reason this is ironic because there's only three institutions that God created. He ordained marriage and the family. He created it. He created government. Human government was created by God. And he created the church. Those are the three institutions that he has created. And those are the three that are coming into opposition of the truth. And that's what we see today. Those three institutions either are under attack or are already overtaken and being used by the enemy to stop the truth. But that's okay because nothing has changed. It may be getting worse in these last days, but at the same time, the Lord knows where he's sending us. He's sending us into a world, and we need to beware of men. We need to beware of governments. We need to beware of institutions, but he's sending us alone, nevertheless, equipped, trained, encouraged, empowered with the gospel, and most importantly, with the resurrected Lord. You know, we need to talk about Scripture itself. You can't just believe things like this on face value. The miracles themselves are evidence for the truth of God's Word. There's all kinds of religions and people out there that say they're Messiah or they're God or that they're a new way or they're the right religion or they're the, the better way of doing things. Jesus sent the apostles out there to perform miracles. Why? To prove that he was who he said he was. And nobody said, no, you guys are fake. That's a bunch of magic tricks. Second, Jesus is sending these apostles into this mission, but later into the world, they will all be separated. Everyone except for John will die a violent death, proclaiming Jesus as Lord, with the exception of Judas. He just got the violent death. Now, these apostles are separated and all they have to do is recant. All we need is one to say, yeah, you know, we got together and we made this whole thing up. I told the, in the first service, I said, you know, I remember running from the police as a very, very young man. And I remember those friends that I had and they would always say, you know, you never narc, you never snitch. You know, snitches get stitches or snitches get in ditches. And they would always say, a real friend is the one that is in the jail, not the one that bails you out of the jail. That's what a real friend is. I'm going to tell you something. When you get taken by the cops and they separate you, everybody snitches, every single one. If there's a plea deal on the table, they are all taking it. That only happens in the movies when they're holding out. It's a lie. And it's the same thing is true with these 12 guys. They're separated, and not only are they separated, they're not being interrogated. They are being beaten, and they are taking violent torture to their death and not a single one broke and said yeah it was all fake we just made it up not a single one recanted so we have the miracles having their eyewitness accounts that miracles exist only to show that jesus is telling the truth and then we have their eyewitness testimony sealed with their blood that says that this is legit what's going on here that when we take this word and we go out into the world that we can trust it
with our lives because, because of the message we've been given. See, they're going out to teach the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which is Jesus. He's there. We go into the world and we have something better. We have the resurrected Lord. That's what would happen to these guys. You see, let's take Peter for a minute. Peter was willing to go to battle for Jesus. And when Jesus was taken, he whooped out that sword. He cut off Malchus's, the temple guard's ear. He was ready to fight. But when Jesus said no and was taken, he was so depressed. He was so broken. And he runs away. Jesus is having the crown of thorns, the lashings on his back. He's being taken to the cross. Peter's nowhere to be found. He recants and he denies Jesus in front of a little girl in a dark alley around a fire. But something happens. Something radically changes in his life. Because here, Jesus is telling the apostles that they are going to be taken before heads of state and councils and governments. That's what he says. And he says, don't prepare a word, but that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to them. Well, something happened in Peter's life because in the book of Acts, he's taken before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin says, you don't get to teach the gospel anymore. Keep it to yourself. They scourge him and they beat him. You know, what, you know what Peter says? He says, number one, you crucified your Messiah and you need to repent. Who is this guy? Second, he says, you can't stop me. I work for a higher authority, a higher power. This guy, a couple nights before, maybe 40, is denying the Lord in a dark alley by himself with a little girl. Suddenly he has the power in the for, in the and the spine, the toughness to stand up in front of the Sanhedrin and say, I don't care what you do to me, I'm not, you're not shutting me up. And, by the way, you crucified your Messiah. Well, something big happened in between those two things. He saw the resurrected Lord. Jesus came out of the grave like he said he would. And that changed these guys' lives forever. And then after that, they had the empowering, the filling of the Holy Spirit on top of that in the day of Pentecost. And so all these things that Jesus is already training them to do is what's going to happen. And we can take that same gospel message and know that the Lord can use us in these ways, but he's not sending us out to perform miracles. He's not sending us out there to go to Israel only. He's definitely not telling us to go out broke and just trust him. And he's definitely not telling you, hey, if you ever do go to court, don't bring a lawyer with you. You can handle it on yourself. Context context. But what do we see? Jesus, he chooses the pastors, the teachers, the leaders, but most importantly, he chose these apostles. He trains them. He's training them right now. He's teaching them. They're walking with him. They're, they're being followed. He's showing them. And then he's empowering them with the Holy Spirit. He's telling them he's going to do the work. It's he that does everything. And then he sends them out, go, and then ultimately, he judges them. He brings them back to himself. Now, that hasn't changed. That's for every disciple, every one of us. So relax. Number one, yes, beware of men. We live in the same broken world. It's going to be tough. There will be persecution. You will not be accepted everywhere. But when you're not, just shake it off. Trust the Lord. Rely on him. He's in control of all things. He will provide for you and guide you how he sees fit. Not the way we want to, the way he wants to. But ultimately, 
as long as we are with him, he will bring us back to himself. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we pray as we continue your sermon to these men that we would be able to apply more and more of these scriptures to our lives. We pray that you would direct us and guide us, that we would love you and be sent out by you. Lord, whether it's just out of these doors and into our homes or out into the world, we pray your will would be done in Jesus' name.